welcome to episode 129 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 7th of June, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. So here we are. It's still incredibly hot because it's the same day for us, but uh, <laughs> let's not get bogged down in time. Let's get straight on with it. Let's do first impressions. So last time the random distribution button gave us Rocky Linux, which in their own words is a community enterprise operating system designed to be 100% bug-for-bug compatible with America's top enterprise Linux distribution now that its downstream partner has shifted direction. So it's a CentOS replacement now that CentOS Stream is a thing and CentOS Linux is uh, not going to be a thing for much longer. So this isn't really a desktop distro, Although there is a desktop image of it, which is just vanilla GNOME, which essentially feels like an old version of Fedora, pretty much. So it's a hard one to look at. Phelan, you mentioned to us before we started recording that you tried this headless. What did you think of it? I tried it headless, but I also decided to do two installs. I used their installer, which turns out to be the same CentOS Red Hat installer that I absolutely fucking loathe anaconda yeah it's terrible i just it just makes no sense maybe you have to have some form of brain disorder to be able to use it properly but it's just too scattered i can't use it it's very powerful but that power means that it's quite complex i think that's debatable i really do i just think it just doesn't have an order in what it finishes things well except for some stuff in which it, it does and even trying to find some of the the repo lists, I don't know what I picked when I went to install it, but it wouldn't actually uh, find the right path, and I had to dig loads of layers deep before I got it to trigger. Um, but anyway, what I tried first was doing that install, and that worked fine, and I got you know Rocky eight point three at the end of it because I think my ISO was fractionally older. But then I had a old eight point two CentOS eight line about, and I thought. I wonder, is there a way to upgrade that? And I found a migrate to uh, rocky.sh. And I ran it. And it churned through a whole lot of stuff. It downloaded about 775 packages, which seemed a bit of a waste to re-download essentially the same stuff again. I mean, in fairness, there was probably updates there. But um, yeah, it worked as far as I can tell. Nothing broke anyway. Um, It was a bit of a, a demo VM that I had. So... Don't take my word for the fact that this is definitely going to work on your very, very, very important server. And now you're going to come looking for me if it doesn't work. But uh, it seemed fine. I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't either. I mean, it's not like it was doing anything amazing. It was just changing packages that probably had branding in them that was different. I used the desktop version. And when I came to download the ISO, I remember the website saying, like, which version do you want? The minimal, the DVD, the boot or the torrent? Well, I knew I didn't want the torrent. I wanted an ISO, but I didn't know the difference between minimal DVD boot. Was it going to give me something which I could then upgrade? Was it going to download absolutely everything? Like the the Debian DVD has every single package on it, I think, pretty much. That was a little bit lost in the details for me there. It wasn't explained very well. But when I did get it going, I downloaded it and booted it up. There were some aspects in that installer that I really liked. And the one that stuck in my mind was when it asked me what the password I wanted to use for my um, for my user, my default user was, and I typed in password, <laughs> it did a dictionary lookup and said, 
that's not a very good idea. It's a dictionary word. You should do something about it. Or just press done twice and I'll just get on with it anyway. I really liked that little touch. And um, I think that was, yeah, I think that was a nice attention to detail there. I know what you mean about the, the sort of, we call them task select maybe in mm. Debian parlance, but I, I wish I knew what the difference between a server install and a minimal install was. I wish there was some sort of, you know, you could say, okay, give me details or a comparison. Because I don't know what the actual two differences between the two. I picked minimal. I said, you know, if there's anything missing, I can install it myself. But it would have been nice to be able to find out what the difference was. Did you find that your Ethernet needed to be enabled manually? Yeah, I had to pick it. Even though I have DHCP for the various VMs in my network here, it didn't seem to kick off initially. And it was literally just a case of tick in the box. I mean, that's what I found was a bit weird about that whole installer was... They weren't even giving you a standard defaults for what was there available. Like they could have, say, picked the disk and done the standard, yeah, use everything, use it with the generic settings and done the exact same for the network card. And then you could have changed it, but they just seem to do nothing with it, but just leave you this weird, you know, this is not finished. You need to finish this thing over here. And it's like a big wall of exclamation marks where you have to tick through and find out why it doesn't like what you've done. I mean, yeah, I guess if you're used to it, you're used to it. But I, I don't think that is an improvement over the even the old blue background Debian installer, to be honest. So once I got it installed, I was faced with what is essentially a blank slate. It's not really a distro that is designed to be used in its vanilla state, is it? It's more like this is what you build your applications on top of, whether that is by adding additional repos or building your own software stack on top of it like it's it's supposed to be just like the most boring rock solid doesn't break base that you then build on top of it's not supposed to be a distro that is used just out of the box and the thing is that i'm talking about centos and rocky here because they are just the same thing at this stage like it's not been long enough it's not been anywhere near long enough for it to diverge and I suppose that's a good thing. Like, it is just CentOS, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And that's why I'm finding it difficult to kind of say much. I've I've been running CentOS as my online server for 10 years. It's my mail server. It's where I have a load of services running that I use for work. CentOS 6, 7, and 8. And then I was kind of at a loose end. What am I going to do? And I tried, I've tried Rocky as a desktop for a few things. And I've also tried it through this experiment as a, as a headless server. And it feels exactly the same. I mean, you're not supposed to add Apple, but you can. And it's really useful. You can follow CentOS and rel instructions for doing things. It just felt like an alive version of CentOS, which is good. I did a search for Apple because I was I was like, okay, I'll, I'll install Biobu because I quite like that on a server. It's very handy to be able to put a nicer face on Tmux and it wasn't there. And then I said, oh, okay, I'll do a yum search for, for Apple then. And yeah, so Apple is a package which installs other packages, which I thought was a bit meta, but yeah, worked quite well that. Yeah, and it's much better than copy and pasting uh, package repositories in but isn't that the ultimate compliment that you can give this that you couldn't tell the difference between it and centaurs i think so yeah yeah <laughs> mission accomplished did you try the desktop version joe or the server version i tried the desktop version first and it was a uh, gnome 332 i think mm. it just felt like an old fedora but with hardly any software in the repos like you had to add additional repos to get even stuff like audacity or whatever like it's just 
it, it wasn't supposed to be used just out of the box. Like you, you look in the software center, the software store or whatever, and like under each category, there's like one or two or under games, there was just literally nothing. <laughs> it's not supposed to be this full featured desktop distro, is it? It's, it's supposed to be, if you're going to use it as a desktop, then you're going to add your own stuff on top of it. And similarly with the server as well, like it's got your basic stuff, but anything even vaguely out of the ordinary, like getting snaps working, for example, is right, Paul, like you've got a, it's not just install SnapD, like you've got to add a repo and, and jump through a few hoops and the, the Snap documentation is excellent for that. And <laughs> Yeah, I wrote that. Yeah. Oh, well, well done. It shows you exactly what errors you're going to get and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but also the instructions are the same as CentOS, which I think says something. Oh, well, I was reading the CentOS ones. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there are Rocket. In fact, Alan poked me about adding the Rocky Linux instructions. Oh, well, I didn't even know you'd written them, so well done. Thanks. <laughs> but I think it's just, it's too early to really talk much more about it, isn't it? Apart from, well done, you've cloned CentOS perfectly, and we'll have to see how it works out long-term. Can you give it that long-term support that people were expecting with CentOS before Red Hat pulled the rug out from under everyone? And if you can do that, and obviously there's other competition as well from similar distros, and it's it really comes down to that support. Can you keep it rock solid for years to come? And if you can, then you're going to establish yourself as the CentOS uh, replacement. Right, let's see what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks then. So let's click the random distribution button. <laughs> Rebecca Black OS. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, like, hang on. When's the latest release of this? Uh, latest stable is from almost exactly a year ago. So it's not dead. And what have we got here? There's a development release from May, so like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, great. And there seems to be x86, 32-bit and 64-bit. And this was the first one with Wayland, wasn't it? Well, it's something to do with NVIDIA graphics drivers or something as well, which I don't have because I've got an AMD card. So cool. This is going to be brilliant. It's going to be funny either way, hopefully. So yes, that's it. Rebecca Black OS. Friday. <laughs> she also did Saturday, but let's uh, not talk about that one. <laughs> Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to learn more about that, latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Let's do some feedback then. Now, we seem to be getting people suggesting distros to us because we've been doing this random distribution thing. So Gareth suggested Bodhi, is it Linux, which is Ubuntu with the Moshka 
desktop environment, which is a fork of Enlightenment 17. Paul suggested Fedora Silverblue. He said, Silverblue is immutable. This means that every installation is identical to every other installation of the same version. The immutable design is intended to make it more stable, less prone to bugs, and easier to test and develop. And uh, it also makes it an excellent platform for containerized applications as well as container-based software development. So these would be good suggestions, but the fun of it is that it's random. And, you know, you end up with just ridiculous shit like Rebecca Black OS. So thank you for the suggestions. And we might cover them at some point, but I, I don't know. It is fun to just do genuinely random stuff. So I don't know. So Heidi says, I too have been an IRC user and it's astounding now it's been going on even in the current day, even though the glory days are gone, I suppose. Linus Torvalds and like are often praised for a reason. But what about IRC's creator? Yarko Akkanen. I have no idea if that's correct, but there you go. I think he would have deserved at least a mention in the show. And please do send a wave file to let us know how to say that name. I'm, I'm guessing it's Finnish. That was brilliant Scandinavian uh, voice work there. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose we should have done, really. But uh, it is still irrelevant, isn't it? The point still stands that I know there was this giant drama and everything and people have moved over to Libera or whatever it's called. But I don't know. It just, you know, get get with the times. Get a Discord server. Come on. <laughs> Put an IRC client in an Electron app. That's what we need. <laughs> what you need is a bridge to Matrix. <laughs> and then from that to Discord. And then from that to Telegram. In 10 years, when all those other networks have imploded from their angel funding drying up, there'll still be IRC. <laughs> You're right. IRC probably will persist indefinitely, even if the uh, appeal becomes more selective. Yeah. But there'll, there'll always be a few hundred people on it, probably. Yeah, the late night Linux channel's never been so busy since we moved over to Libera. Oh, geez, I need to join that. <laughs> I've still got a free node one. I should join it now. Oh, it's about 700% more users in there. <laughs> wow, there's actually people in there. <laughs> Not a huge amount of people given four of us in there. There's four other people, yeah, okay, good. So we've got another email from uh, Caillou, I think it's pronounced. Um, in the last LNL episode, Joe said that he's afraid that not many people want a modular laptop. They want a MacBook or a ThinkPad or things like that. I would like to dispute the idea that Apple, Lenovo and other companies are just building what people want. In fact, they spend loads and loads of money on advertising, on making them appear in movies, on providing hardware to schools, making deals with governments, lobbying, etc. To teach people that a MacBook is cool and desirable is very expensive and that's why I think only the big companies seem to create the best things. It's not that they have geniuses working there that know what people want. It's just that having that kind of money that's required to teach people what they should want is something that only a very big corporation has. Sure, their products are good, although they are not in some sense like planned obsolescence, environment impact, poorly paid workers in factories, etc. But that's not why it's desirable. For the Floss community to have this kind of reach would mean to seize this massive convincing power, which is something that cannot be done, I believe, using just competition for the market and building better hardware. All good points, well made, I think. Uh, yeah, maybe I was wrong that it's not a case of that people want them. Maybe it is just advertising and brand awareness. I don't necessarily mean just straight up advertising. I mean, like putting in the latest James Bond film and TV shows and stuff and just making people desire things that they otherwise might not want. 
This is, of course, about the framework laptop that we talked about a couple of episodes ago, the totally modular and repairable laptop. And uh, yeah, I think, as we said at the time, it would be nice if it succeeds and there is probably a small niche for it. And a small niche of a massive industry might be enough to sustain it, hopefully. Mike got in touch about the recent late-night Linux Extra about Arch and Arctics, uh, and he had this to say, I've been a Linux tinkerer for over a decade, but only came to a full-time Linux user for almost a year. After lots of distro hopping, I always found myself back at Arch. Not because I enjoy pain, or I want some weird tiling manager, but because I do value rolling releases and simplicity without lots of bloat. I never understood why Arch users were the butt of so many Linux jokes this whole time. Surely many other users enjoy rolling and minimalism as well. But then your recent extra with Arctics users kind of confirms the jokes. An Arch user who shuns systemd and relishes in the pain of something like DWM. This is how the community sees Arch users. I'd like to offer that there are a sane bunch of us too. I use the Anarchy 2e installer, which takes all of the ball ache out of installing Arch. I get myself to a bootable terminal session that can connect to the internet, and I Pac-Man a handful of packages to build myself a modern, fast, and cosy GNOME 4.0 environment. The whole process takes less than 10 minutes, honest. I'm a web developer by trade, and I rely on this machine constantly. I have a ritual where I update and reboot every weekend just in case something goes sideways, but it never has. In fact, the only botched update have ever been on Ubuntu-based systems during a version upgrade. The rolling nature of Arch completely eliminates that. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite telling that he sets aside a day on the weekend to update it. <laughs> just in case. Do you know what? I think the thing that eliminates issues with updates is testing. And I don't think Arch tests on anything but its users. Well, and what came up in that extra was that there is no single Arch. Makes a lovely testing target, I'd imagine, as well. Well, no, the thing is that like, for each individual thing, whether it's your bootloader or your network manager or whatever, there's loads of different options. And so, you know, just the maths of that, there is no one Arch system. It's how you have configured Arch because Arch is build your own distro, essentially. And so it's impossible to test it all. You know, there's no one release to test. It's There's so many moving parts there that... You have to know what you're doing, essentially. Now, Graham, you are an Arch user, although you can't be because you don't tell us about it every five minutes. <laughs> did tell us about it last week, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I am an Arch user. I think there are lots of probably sane and quiet and happily satisfied Arch users who maybe don't go on about it. I I stumbled upon this kind of meme by mentioning it once. I didn't realise it was such a big thing, but... um. Over the years, I have had problems, usually because I've not read the news in the wiki. Um, and I, I install Arch for a very specific set of reasons. Um, it isn't the distribution I'd recommend for most people. But yeah, it is still a great, great distribution in the way that it does so much stuff differently. Um, and you can make it whatever you want it to be, which I think is really exciting. In its defense, when we did Nixos the last, was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that was actually really interesting to see. And it kind of reminded me going back to Gen 2 sort of times. That was like early 2004 when I think I started doing that. And it's one of those things where if you get into a project that it's a bit awkward to start off with, but once you get into that, it can be amazingly powerful. Like, And Arch is probably that for all these people as well. I mean, I use it 
primarily to write about new software. Um, and I still don't think there's a better Linux distribution platform for trying out the very latest releases in a reliable and consistent way. Yeah. Um, the AUR is brilliant and the documentation is very, very good. Yeah, if you want to try the new software, then it is the obvious way to do it. But I just am happy with the older stuff, quite frankly. I've been meaning to, though. I've been meaning to set aside a box to run Arch on, uh, probably Endeavor because I'm too lazy to install it properly, but to have an Arch-based system to stay totally up to date. And I've done it a couple of times, and I just never keep it up to date. I just go back to Zubuntu and, you know, maybe I should just install it on my main workstation and just say fuck it in fairness if you're just using xfce you wouldn't notice the difference on arch either <laughs> have you ever used arch well oh a long 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 time ago what made you give up the overhead really i like I, i'm not actually that interested in running the latest greatest version of anything i'm more interested in it just working and not breaking so i stuck with ubuntu um given that I knew the people who were testing it and making sure it was working. So, and I'll stick with that now. I'm not really interested in investing more time in having a, like two minor releases, newer version of the text editor. Yeah, now that we're trying these random distros, you can have a feel for something a little bit different without having to fuck up your main system. <laughs> I think you'd do well to beat what Neon does for me in the fact that it's latest KDE, but stable OS level. I mean, I really don't care about the kernel too much if my drivers all work. Yeah, and because it's built on the Ubuntu LTS, you get the hardware enablement kernel anyway. Exactly, yeah. And you get the latest KDE apps as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, that's where I would actually care about it. And I'm just too lazy to do the build myself. But it's ideal if you want to experiment with Pipewire, for example, or Wayland, and you know exactly what it is that you've installed to remove and replace it. Whereas with any other distribution, you're kind of going to leave stuff behind or do it in a hacky way that's difficult to backtrack from or move forward from. Sounds too much like work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. I've just started my learning journey with CBT Nuggets, but I've already picked up tons of knowledge from the short and manageable videos in the Docker and Network Fundamentals courses. Their in-house trainers are active and certified IT professionals who add around 40 hours of new training to the course catalog each week, so you can always stay current and up to date. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. Okay, Tom says, the industry standard for small businesses is a Windows terminal server. Except for no machine, I haven't found any alternatives to these Windows terminal servers. Is there no interest in this market from companies like Red Hat or Canonical? Software like LTSP does seem available, but it doesn't provide the same ease of use as a Windows terminal server. 
Yeah, I don't have the answer to this. I've I've kind of followed this a little bit over the years, and um, No Machine and NX was really good at the time. The performance of the desktop sharing, for example, like far surpassed that of using VNC and didn't have any of the compression artifacts. And from my memory, they kind of forked their own project to create a proprietary product. Product and for a while, the open source side was developed as FreeNX, which I think is one solution. But whether that scales, whether you can use it in an environment where you you know people create these ad hoc terminal sessions i'm not sure um, and i'm i'm surprised i think the problem is that vnc kind of does the job good enough and so we've never looked for better solutions yeah i i think it's a bit of a missing sort of window because i've set up ltsp for tests once coronavirus kicked off uh, there was a lot of need to see could we reduce costs as for uh, terminal sessions but they don't really quite work the same way as Windows uh, terminal server does in the fact that you have a machine already and then you just essentially clone off a desktop environment for users or log in. LTSP sort of does it, but it's quite a faff to set up initially. And it definitely uses, I would say, probably more resources than something that the no machine stuff does. Like that, that does seem to be pretty quick, but I think it's expensive as well. So I, there's definitely a window there for it, I'd say. Okay, Theodore asks, any suggestions on creating a dog barking logging system? My American neighbors have two loud barking dogs. I would like to create a system that identifies barking from ambient noise and logs the info into something like InfluxDB, which was discussed in one of your podcasts. Logging and metrics will give me a sanity check and tell me if I'm overly sensitive. If the metrics show that I am justified for being annoyed, I would like to introduce an automated dog whistle that trains the dogs to be quiet. If that doesn't work, I will just add something like a very loud horn that scares the daylights out of every living thing in the immediate area. I have an old analog circa 1985 stereo system that I could wire up as a secret weapon. Of course, this is all a pipe dream right now since I've never done anything with hardware. Also, I'm more of a software guy than a hardware guy, so I'm not sure how to approach this. Should I look at Raspberry Pi or Arduino? I don't think we should answer any of these questions. I feel this is some sort of anti-K9 unit <laughs> for the police searches that are going on in this area. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm tapping out. <laughs> That's it's a couple of separate problems there, isn't it? The first one is how do you record it and log what is a dog bark and what isn't that that feels like it needs uh, machine learning and ai to me mm. yeah i did read about um a noise analyzer an ai noise analyzer for the raspberry pi even then i think it's a hugely challenging ask there is a project that's been um using edge tpu tensor processing units on the raspberry pi and they actually the example here is for dog barking but i've no idea whether it actually works or not I would be tempted to set up a microphone and then if it gets over a certain noise, start recording and log it somewhere. And then you'd have to experiment with the thresholds and everything. But maybe you could get it to a point where it's only logging the dog barking and maybe the occasional other loud thing. And then you could just manually review them and not do the machine learning stuff and AI or whatever. That might not work, though, depending on the situation. But uh, th there's an old-school way from me, and uh, it, can you dig up a link for that, Graham? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll put that in the notes. And then the other thing is the dog whistle or stereo thing. That's going to be relatively easy to do, isn't it? 
with a bit of basic code like if this happens then play this loud noise surely so da converters getting above 20 kilohertz that might be a problem um if for a proper dog whistle frequency it depends on the size of the dogs so if they I, I i'm guessing this because of the um the anatomy of a dog but a bigger dog probably can hear a lower frequency yeah and even if you're getting up to 20 very few people are going to hear that but dogs will and if it's loud enough it'll really annoy them because most people can't hear above about 15k especially once you get on a bit like ours so the frequency of most dog whistles, according to Wikipedia, is between 23 to 54 kilohertz. Right. So you're going to need a very good audio interface capable of, you know, 96 kilohertz <laughs> or, you know, maybe half that. Which, yeah, I mean, they're, they're everywhere now. Oh, yeah. And you could probably get a decent DAC for a Raspberry Pi, and then you need some kind of specialized speaker which to deal with the frequencies. I'll sell you a uh, Sound Blaster Platinum from circa 1999 for uh, a large sum of money, if you'd like it. I've got an M-Audio Audiophile 2496 PCI card that I found the other day that will definitely do the trick for you, if you've got a PCI slot, not PCIe, of course. I'm actually thinking now, maybe you could hook up some kind of balloon inflation system and a real dog whistle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pump it up and then... And then just have a valve that releases it. Yeah, good idea. Or you could just get that stereo and just blast some death metal or something <laughs> at them. But then that'll piss all your neighbours off. But maybe you want to piss the neighbours off into moving, and that'll just solve your problem. Yeah, just be a complete arsehole. Get your neighbours to move. <laughs> just leave the stereo on max as you walk out the door from work every morning. Yeah, exactly. Much, much easier. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next time when we will be probably talking about what's been in the news and Foss Talk Live will have been uh, in fact it will have been by the time you're listening to this oh, my mind is just getting blown with all these uh, time factors anyway until then I've been Joe I've been Phelan I've been Graham and I've been Will see you later <laughs>